of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham, Chapter 93, Segment 1. Next morning, Mildred was sulky and taciturn. She remained in her room till it was time to get the dinner ready. She was a bad cook and could do little more than chops and steaks, and she did not know how to use up odds and ends, so that Philip was obliged to spend more money than he had expected. When she served up, she sat down opposite Philip, but would eat nothing. He remarked on it. She said she had a bad headache and was not hungry. He was glad that he had somewhere to spend the rest of the day. The Athelnys were cheerful and ugly. It was delightful and an unexpected thing to realize that everyone in that household looked forward with pleasure to his visit. Mildred had gone to bed when he came back, but next day she was still silent. At supper she sat with a haughty expression on her face and a little frown between her eyes. It made Philip impatient, but he told himself that he must be considerate to her. He was bound to make allowance. "'You're very silent,' he said with a pleasant smile. "'I'm paid to cook and clean. I did know I was expected to talk as well.' He thought it an ungracious answer, but if they were going to live together, he must do all he could to make things go easily. "'I'm afraid you're cross with me about the other night,' he said. It was an awkward thing to speak about, but apparently it was necessary to discuss it. "'I don't know what you mean,' she answered. "'Please don't be angry with me. I should never have asked you to come and live here if I didn't mean for our relationship to be merely friendly.' I suggested it because I thought you wanted a home and you would have a chance of looking about for something to do. Oh, don't think I care. I don't for a moment, he hastened to say. You mustn't think I'm ungrateful. I realize that you only proposed it for my sake. It's just a feeling I have and I can't help it. It would make the whole thing ugly and horrid. You are funny, she said, looking at him curiously. I can't make you out. She was not angry with him now, but puzzled. She had no idea what he meant. She accepted the situation. She had, indeed, a vague feeling that he was behaving in a very noble fashion and that she ought to admire it. But also she felt inclined to laugh at him and perhaps even to despise him a little. He's a rum customer, she thought. Life went smoothly enough with them. Philip spent all day at the hospital and worked at home in the evening, except when he went to the Athelny's or to the tavern in Beak Street. Once the physician for whom he clerked asked him to a solemn dinner, and two or three times he went to parties given by fellow students. Mildred accepted the monotony of her life. If she minded that Philip left her sometimes by herself in the evening, she never mentioned it. Occasionally he took her to a music hall. He carried out in his intention that the only tie between them should be the domestic service she did in return for board and lodging. She had made up her mind that it was no use trying to get work that summer, and with Philip's approval determined to stay where she was till the autumn. She thought it would be easy to get something to do then. As far as I'm concerned, you can stay on here when you've got a job if it's convenient. The room's there, and the woman who did for me before can come in and look after the baby." He grew very much attached to Mildred's child. He had a naturally affectionate disposition, which had had little opportunity to display itself. Mildred was not unkind to the little girl. She looked after her very well, and once when she had a bad cold proved herself a devoted nurse. But the child bored her, and she spoke to her sharply when she bothered. She was fond of her, but had not the maternal passion which might have induced her to forget herself. Mildred had no demonstrativeness, and she found that the manifestations of affection 
ridiculous. When Philip sat with the baby on his knees, playing with it, kissing it, she laughed at him. You couldn't make more fuss of her if you was her father, she said. You're perfectly silly with the child. Philip flushed, for he hated to be laughed at. It was absurd to be so devoted to another man's baby, and he was a little shamed of the overflowing of his heart. But the child, feeling Philip's attachment, would put her face against his or nestle in his arms. It's all very fine for you, said Mildred. You don't have any of the disagreeable part of it. How would you like being kept awake for an hour in the middle of the night because her ladyship wouldn't go to sleep? Philip remembered all sorts of things of his childhood, which he thought he had long forgotten. He took hold of the baby's toes. This little pig went to market. This little pig stayed at home. When he came home in the evening, he entered the sitting room. His first glance was for the baby sprawling on the floor, and it gave him a little thrill of delight to hear the child's crow of pleasure at seeing him. Mildred taught her to call him Daddy, and when the child did this for the first time of her own accord, laughed immoderately. I wonder if you're that struck on baby because she's mine, asked Mildred, or if you'd be the same with anybody's baby. I've never known anybody else's baby, so I can't say, said Philip. Towards the end of his second term as inpatient's clerk, a piece of good fortune befell Philip. It was the middle of July. He went one Tuesday evening to the tavern in Beak Street and found nobody there but McAllister. They sat together chatting about their absent friends, and after a while McAllister said to him, Oh, by the way, I heard of a rather good thing today. New Klingfontains. It's a gold mine in Rhodesia. If you'd like to have a flutter, you might make a bit. Philip had been waiting anxiously for such an opportunity, but now that it came, he hesitated. He was desperately afraid of losing money. He had little of the gambler's spirit. I'd love to, but I don't know if I dare risk it. How much would I lose if things went wrong? I shouldn't have spoken of it, only you seem so keen about it, McAllister answered coldly. Philip felt that McAllister looked upon him as rather a donkey. I'm awfully keen on making a bit, he laughed. You can't make money unless you're prepared to risk money. End of segment one. Chapter 93, Segment 2 McAllister began to talk of other things, and Philip, while he was answering him, kept thinking that if the venture turned out well, the stockbroker would be very facetious at his expense next time they met. McAllister had a sarcastic tongue. "'I think I will have a flutter, if you don't mind,' said Philip anxiously. "'All right. I'll buy you two hundred and fifty shares, and if I see a half-crown rise, I'll sell them at once.' Philip quickly reckoned out how much that would amount to, and his mouth watered. Thirty pounds would be a godsend just then, and he thought the fates owed him something. He told Mildred what he had done when he saw her at breakfast next morning. She thought him very silly. "'I never knew anyone who made money on the stock exchange,' she said. "'That's what Emil always said. "'You can't expect to make money on the stock exchange,' he said." Philip bought an evening paper on his way home and turned at once to the money columns. He knew nothing about these things and had difficulty in finding the stock which McAllister had spoken of. He saw they had advanced a quarter. His heart leaped, and then he felt sick with apprehension in case McAllister had forgotten or for some reason had not bought. McAllister had promised to telegraph. Philip could not wait to take a tram home. He jumped into a cab. It was an unwanted extravagance. Is there a telegram for me, he said as he burst in. No, said Mildred. 
His face fell, and in bitter disappointment he sank heavily into his chair. Then he didn't buy them for me after all. Curse him, he added violently. What cruel luck! And I've been thinking all day of what I'd do with the money. Why, what were you going to do, she asked. What's the good of thinking about that now? Oh, I wanted the money so badly. She gave a laugh and handed him a telegram. I was only having a joke with you. I opened it. He tore it out of her hands. McAllister had bought him 250 shares and sold them at the half-crown profit he had suggested. The commission note was to follow next day. For one moment, Philip was furious with Mildred for her cruel jest, but then he could only think of his joy. It makes such a difference to me, he cried. I'll stand you a new dress if you like. I want it badly enough, she answered. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to be operated upon at the end of July. Why, have you got something the matter with you? She interrupted. It struck her that an illness she did not know might explain what had so much puzzled her. He flushed, for he hated to refer to his deformity. No, but they think they can do something to my foot. I couldn't spare the time before, but now it doesn't matter so much. I shall start my dressing in October instead of next month. I shall only be in hospital a few weeks, and then we can go away to the seaside for the rest of the summer. It'll do us all good, you, the baby, and me. Oh, let's go to Brighton, Philip. I like Brighton. You get such a nice class of people there. Philip had vaguely thought of some little fishing village in Cornwall, but as she spoke, it occurred to him that Mildred would be bored to death there. I don't mind where we go as long as I get the sea. He did not know why, but he had suddenly an irresistible longing for the sea. He wanted to bathe, and he thought with delight of, of splashing about in the salt water. He was a good swimmer, and nothing exhilarated him like a rough sea. I say, it will be jolly, he cried. It'll be like a honeymoon, won't it? She said. How much can I have for my new dress, Phil? End of segment two.